Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. It's exactly 11 o'clock. I'm Mark Dolan and it's time for Headliners, a first look at tomorrow's papers tonight in the company of Dana Alexander and Steve N. Allen. Hello and welcome to Headliners. I'm Mark Dolan and my guests tonight share the envious distinction of being able to say their names backwards and it still makes perfect sense. Yes, Alexander Dana, or is it Dana Alexander, and Steve N. Allen. Great to have you with me. Lots to get through tonight. Let's kick off with tomorrow's headlines. And here are the front pages. We'll start with the Sunday Telegraph. Rwandan plan is ungodly, says Welby, and robots could be used to pick fruit in food security strategy. Perhaps they'd like to run the country whilst they're at it. The Independent, PM told to reveal details of Sunak probe. Labour has called for transparency and say that a time frame for the investigation must be published in full. Also, a quarter of a million demand action for Ukrainian refugees. Readers back the Independent's campaign to help those fleeing war. The Observer, PM's Rwanda plan is against the judgment of God, according to the Archbishop of Canterbury. And senior Tories fear Partygate will alienate the traditional vote. The Sunday Mirror, uh, pretty heartless. Orphans of the Rwandan genocide will lose their homes to make way for refugees being booted out of Britain by the Home Secretary, Pretty Patel. And Harry and Meghan's look of love. The Sunday Times, drug scandal that damaged 20,000 babies. Epilepsy pills are still being given to pregnant women in a travesty that recalls thalidomide. Forgive me, thalidomide. A hundred million dollar final plea of ISIS hostage Cantley and shipping migrants to Africa is ungodly. That uh, story appearing also in the Sunday Times. That's uh, Justin Welby in his message to the Prime Minister. Punish eco mob now, say the Sunday Express. And Prince Harry still charming Meghan. And last but not least, the Daily Star Sunday. Heidi, hi, Jeff. I'm Elvis of Hungary. Heidi, hi, hero Jeffrey Holland has told how he is treated like Elvis Presley in Hungary, where his 1990s show, You Rang Me Lord, is on the box every night. And let me tell you, a TV classic it is. And more classic TV to come. We start with the Sunday Mirror, and it seems Pretty Patel's Rwanda plan is not popular with the church, Steve. That's true. It's been called ungodly, as a lot of those front pages were saying. The headline with the mirror, mirror being uh, pretty heartless. They're still in with the puns. And there was even the charity was saying that the immigration policy was more about um, not saving the skins of the migrants, but saving the skins of the government. And I was, I was thinking on that earlier. Forget for a second whether you think the core concept is a good or a bad idea, and just look at the timing of it. 
We definitely know that Partygate's a really sticky um, part, a sticky wicket of it. And for a while, it was more war news than Partygate. All of mm. a sudden, that flipped, and then we're talking about this. So even if you don't ask yourself the question, do you think it's good or bad? The timing is suspicious. Then you think about some of the other things we've been reading about. You know, the legal arguments against it, um, whether it's even workable. It seems odd not to have got those ducks in a row before you announce it. So why are you announcing it? Again, it comes up to this. Um, I think the point is that a dead cat is a dead cat, even if you are into taxidermy. Uh, well, I think that's a fair point. But the authorities in Rwanda have done the deal, haven't they? They've signed on the dotted line. This agreement is in place, Dana. Yes, it is in place. And they've only done it for £120 million, pounds, which I find a bit on the cheap. Let's be honest about that. Of course, the operating costs are going to be added to that. I think what happens is that this sets a dangerous precedent. The UK has already been condemned by the UNHCR for actually trying to criminalize like migrants. Let's ask this question. Are they going to pro process Ukrainians in Rwanda? Well, the issue is that the people crossing the channel mm -hmm. are in a safe country, which is France. So okay. why did they come to the UK? That's just, well, <laughs> language, that's one. Connection. Yeah, but they're not fleeing, they're not fleeing for one. their lives, are they? Well, have you been to Calais? I'm sure you'd Well, France that. is a safe country. I think we can all agree that. Well, I think what's happening is that it's a little bit harder to get out of Calais. Let's be honest about that. And what the UK is trying to benefit from is where they are, right? You can't get to the UK as easily because it's an island. So how is anyone, what are you going to say? Basically, only the countries that border the UK are going to be the ones that claim asylum. Again, the UK is taking 1% of these migrants. They're not, they're not taking their fair share. And... Considering That's a different story, and that sure. perhaps could be agreed in statute. But the issue is why these migrant crossings are happening on the channel. It's a perilous journey, and there are, there are gangsters who are profiting from people paying a lot of money to make those crossings. Well, the idea of the Rwanda plan mm. is, to, is to destroy the business model of these gangsters. Okay, well, you can call them gangsters if you want, but if you're somebody... They're taking running... money to help people risk their lives across the channel illegally. Well, you can call them gangsters if you what want, but I think you talk, if you talk to any refugee, which I don't see a lot happening in the news, mm. uh, a lot of people would call these guys their saviour. Do you know what I'm saying? If you've ever passed through Calais or passed, just seen what's going on in that camp, you'd think you were in Rwanda. So I don't necessarily think that it is a safe place for them. But that's an issue for the French authorities, isn't it? Well, I don't think that the UK is doing their fair share when it comes to taking migrants. And they're taking advantage because of the way that they're located, the, how they are located. I mean, every summer, we, of course, all year long, we see people perish in the channel. It's a horrifically dangerous thing to do, Steve and Alan. Yeah. And the government want to stop this from happening. I think it's a bizarre situation where we're calling the crossing illegal. But every country has um, a, a legal responsibility to give refuge. Um, and the only way you can apply is if you've made it to the UK. So surely, almost by like, a secondary effect, you've made the crossing legal. And I think that's where there might be a greater argument. Why, why, why do people discard their documentation and their smartphones on their way to the UK? then they may not be true uh, asylum seekers or people seeking refuge. However, that's not disproved the sentence, we have a legal right to give refuge to those who deserve it. Just because you can find someone who doesn't deserve it doesn't mean you've proved that no one does. What about the dissatisfaction of the British public or a lot of the people uh, that maybe watch this programme that vote in elections uh, in regard to the nature of these crossings, given how unofficial they are? Well, I mean, it's understandable, and more needs to be talked about it. Thank heavens we're not living in a time of politics. I remember 
remember the elections where no one would say the word immigration. Mm. But it doesn't mean we've found the right solution. I don't think this is the right solution. It does. Well, what is the right solution? I don't know, but I tell you what, it looks like God's not in favour of it either. That's the latest update, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this will be a, a kind of added headache for the Prime Minister. Uh, a, 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 basically a kind of pretty strong attack from the Archbishop of Canterbury in relation to this policy, that it's immoral or ungodly, un-British maybe. And it's potentially a liability issue because if anything happens to them in Rwanda, the British government could also find themselves in a lot of hot water. Fascinating conversation. No doubt that one will continue. The Mail on Sunday now and Harry and Meghan are back in the UK. Excited, Dana? Am I excited? <laughs> I don't think they're in the UK. I think they're in Europe, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, I think now they're in Holland. But are they, they passed through, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Allegedly a secret visit to the Queen at Windsor Castle. Ooh, it would have to be secret because obviously they don't have any security. So Harry and Meghan's Netflix film crew couldn't let a moment go to waste as they frantically scampered after the Duke and Duchess of Sussex while met uh, injured military veterans and hitched a ride on mini Land Rovers on the first day of Invictus Games today. I mean, what I find so funny is how they're, they're describing it as the film crew frantically scampered. That's what film crews do. Yes. <laughs> Have you ever seen just a chilled 100%. out film crew? Like they got everything, they always got to put a little slant on it. Always. It's like even when they're trying to help disabled veterans, this press will somehow find a way to demonize Meghan and Harry. I mean, demonized. This is a couple that have pretty much nonstop attacked the royal family and nonstop British people since they went to America. I don't think. I don't know if she, I have to I remind think, you about the could... Oprah interview. Well, that wasn't nonstop. That was one interview. It was pretty potent. Then there was Harry's podcast in which he slagged off his father and his brother. Okay. You know, uh, there's a book coming out which is expected to be a right royal stitch up. I'll tell you this: she hasn't slagged off the fa uh, the royal family even 1% of, of what she's gotten from the British public, so I'm sorry. And I don't think that she slagged them off. Let's say that her claims are true. Nobody ever really talks about that part. They just go, oh no, the queen would never do that, or no one in the royal family would ever do that. But we see things like the Blackmore brooch and all of these other missteps, and you have to take it into, you have to, you have to question it. And furthermore, she wasn't the one to make the claim. Harry was. Uh, what about the suggestion that somehow they'd got married before the wedding ceremony? Oh, God. Quickly, oh, quickly rebuffed by the Archbishop oh, of Canterbury. Oh, I mean, now. Well, does, that, does that not raise questions about the accuracy of the witness? Well, oh, does it not raise questions? She I said, she was on camera saying, we got married before the wedding. That was a lie. Okay. It might have been a technical lie. Perhaps unreliable witness. Unreliable witness. Okay. Well, I mean, if that's all you have on Megan, it's a pretty weak case. Unsubstantiated claims. It's a pretty weak case. Okay. And what do you think about this? Do you think that, that, uh, that this family can rebuild bridges? You know my point on this. I would struggle to care even if they were royal <laughs> and they're not royal. So let's remember the context. We are simply talking about famous people right now. And if you've got to get all exercised about famous people, this effectively is like getting upset about David and Victoria Beckham doing something. That's basically all we're dealing with now. They, you're right, they couldn't win either way. I mean, the, the, it's in the Daily Mail. So they would have been writing stories. They've well, not they made need, anything for Netflix. They need security Netflix. coming here, but they don't need it going to Holland for the Invictus Games. They need some help with that. The, I'm not sure. There's probably more of a threat well, here than there is in Holland. And the oh, okay, the terrorists, they don't go to Holland, no? Oh, the security was more about them paying for it and, and whether it's okay to pay for it. They're, they're paying police. for their own security in Holland. Yeah. Yeah, and the, so the issue wasn't whether they needed security or not. The issue Intel. here was whether they could pay to use the, the British police's Except security. that they've ceased to be active members of the royal family. And, I and so they've had a right royal hissy fit not coming to the UK. 
not being at Prince Philip's memorial and instead dicking about on a children's Land Rover in Holland instead for a photo op. To that point, though, to call it a photo op, if, if they hadn't made any programmes for Netflix, the Daily Mail and other people, you know who I'm looking at you, sir, would be saying, ah, they've got this contract and they've not even made a TV show. They make a TV wait. show about the Invictus Games. Oh, they're making what, a TV think, show about the Invictus Games. Do you think the royal, the, the, this royal couple have been let down by the royal family when they were married and living under the wing of the palace? When I listen to the Oprah interview, that is the conclusion that I would have to say that I came In to. that case, why did they hang on to the titles of Duke and Duchess of Sussex if they have been so badly treated by this institution? He was born a Duke. Why should he lose but it? Why, why has Meghan said, these are dreadful people, let's lose the title? Why Did, did she, she say they were dreadful she, people? Why, I don't well, remember her saying it was they a were pretty, dreadful people. It was a pretty damning interview It might have been a damning interview, but that in doesn't mean that she said that they made. were dreadful. I don't think she said that they were well, dreadful. She, they neglected her mental health. She was struggling. They did nothing. And I think Diana had very similar claims. And nobody doubted her story. And she relinquished Princess of Wales. Oh, OK. Well, does it really matter at the end of the day? Well, if you're critical of an institution, but you keep the names and all the trappings associated with it, some would accuse that of I think she's been critical hypocrisy. of specific instances. I don't think she's been critical so you, of the So do you think she likes the royal family and the institution? Do you know what? I mean, how could you? I mean, it would be pretty hard to, considering if, how she's being treated by the public. If you've been treated so badly by the palace, would you keep those titles? I mean, she's, it's her, it's her, it's her, it's, it's, her birthright. it's her husband's birthright, and her kids should sire into those as well, and I don't know why she should have to give them up. OK, great. Well, look, that's another great discussion. Uh, let's move on now. And it looks like Boris isn't going to Russia anytime soon, Steve. Yeah, this is where the hurt starts. Russia bans Boris Johnson and 12 others from entering the country. This includes Priti Patel. She can't go and live in Russia. And you know how much she likes the concept of migration. Rishi Sunak can't go and live in Russia, which... I mean, the guy's only just lost a green card from America. I'm amazed he can't travel. Um, this is the Russian Foreign Ministry. Ban them in retaliation to the sanctions for the Ukrainian war. I mean, it's not even got to hurt. Even though the guy, even though our prime minister has the names Alexander and Boris, probably likes a bit of Russia, he wasn't going to go then. No, surely no one was thinking of this trip. It would be a brave politician to fly to Russia. Would you like to see the duty-free? We've got a fragrance over here called Scent of Salisbury. No, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I'm surprised. I'm surprised it's only just happening now, though, because we banned yeah. Russian officials. Feels a little bit late, doesn't it? You know, yeah. you know what's interesting is he probably goes to a lot of places that he doesn't want to go, but he has to go. So this looks like a free past. <laughs> yeah, it probably, uh, I think that's a fair way of looking at it. Uh, Sunday Telegraph next, and we've not heard much from Extinction Rebellion in a while. Steve, what are they up to? How are they? Um, they are gluing themselves to an oil tanker in Hyde Park. Um, okay. Which, yeah, you know, I, I agree with the ends, but not the means. That's my general position on that. Just because if you're upset with governments, you're upset with oil companies, upset those. Don't upset the average person trying to make their way past an oil tanker to work. Well, Dana, it's a contradiction, isn't it? Because many will condemn their actions, but we are talking about the cause, which I guess means they've you know, achieved their mission. It's a publicity stunt. You mm. don't glue yourself to a tractor and dress up as rats if you don't want publicity. And they've gotten exactly what they wanted. I think what's really difficult, and I have to agree with you on this, that, you know, the, you have to justify the means. And I think when you're telling people to just out and out stop using fossil fuel, you have to give them an alternative. Mm. Yeah, interesting conversation. Well, uh, here it is, the headliners ever present Elon Musk story. 
I feel a 10-part Netflix docu-series about this saga at some point in the future. What's the latest, Steve, on Muskgate? So he's trying to buy Twitter, which for a certain demographic, this story includes Twitter and Elon Musk. I mean, that's going to be a struggle to care. Um, but it's not just him buying it now. He's trying to get some rich friends to help him buy it. You know when Ooh. you're thinking, should we get some, should we order a pizza? That's all right, I'll just order a big pizza and we can all share it. It's like that, but for billionaires. Um, so he wants American to Hots. The, ooh, why, that's not, Ham and pineapple? It's not how I'd call him, but if you find him attractive, <laughs> it's the money that sways you, isn't it? But he, it's because of this poison pill thing. We're moving into the world of finance and beyond my uh, knowledge zone here. Mm. But the idea is that the owners of Twitter, because they don't want Elon Musk to buy it, could release lots of shares, messing up the, fi the financial ability of Elon Musk to buy it. Mm. But that's if he owns more than 15%. So he's trying to look around and go, hey, rich people, why don't we all club in and get less than 15% each? It's one of the ways around it. Um, I mean, if Elon Musk buys Twitter, I imagine the first tweet he'll do will be about that cave rescuer. Are we still, still holding that grudge? Or actually, I think the first thing Elon Musk would do is change it so that usernames can include special characters, because it's the only way that his kid stands a chance of getting an account. Um, <laughs> Very true. But I mean, there's also a part of this story talks about the former chief exec of Reddit saying, like, Musk is buying off more than he can chew. The idea of trying to fix free speech, it'll drive him crazy. But he's a billionaire, he'll just sell it when he gets bored. Uh, do you think that big tech is responsible for censorship, Dana? Well, I think when it comes to a platform as big as Twitter, I think we run into a danger when you have one person operating and owning mm. it, right? Because that's a huge amount of power to have. It's a huge propaganda machine, let's be honest. He already has 80 million followers. What more does he want? It's going to be a long Tesla ad, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, we'll, we'll see if it happens. What I'm more curious about is who he would want to buy it with him. Mm. Yeah, I mean, do you think that big tech is generally guilty of censorship, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or, or any of those other huge California-based companies? Well, it's censorship and freedom of speech, there is always a clause, right? Because I think the people who have been banned from Twitter a lot of the time, it is for hate speech, it's for harassment, it's for racism, it's those sorts of things. And I don't think that that's... What, what about the inventor of mRNA vaccine technology, uh, Dr. Uh, Robert, um, forgive me, his uh, surname escapes me now, uh, Robert Malone, who was cancelled by Twitter. That was a bit harsh, wasn't it? Yeah, was he an anti-vaxxer? Well, I mean, he invented a vaccine. And oh, but he, was he an anti-vaxxer? Uh, no, I don't think so. He'd had the vaccine himself, mm -hmm. and he thought it should be focused on those clinically vulnerable, which I think is a perfectly reasonable suggestion to make. And for that, he was taken off the platform. That is, I mean, is that a good look? I don't know if it's a good look, but I think when we start getting into, you know, vig vigilante virologists online, we have to be careful. I when think he a deserves huge... a better title than that. If he invented vaccine mRNA technology, I think perhaps he's earned the right. Perhaps he has platform. earned the right, but I think that you have to be really careful when you have government set mandates and information, especially from professionals going on. What about those that platform? question? And the veracity of those mandates and government information. I mean, is history uncluttered by examples of government information that was wrong? Well, is history cluttered by government information that is wrong? I think what happens specifically with COVID is that it's a lot of to be determined, right? Mm. I think what the government has is a, is it has to keep us safe at the end of the day. But if it's Are to they be determined, get it right, right? if it's to be determined, then why can't we debate all of these measures that are rolled out by because people's governments? lives are at stake? Are they? Yes. How many people have died from COVID? Well, I guess people with and from COVID, several million around the world. I lost two aunts and an uncle. Of course, and it's for some people, it's a nasty, fatal virus. Mm -hmm. But surely in a free Western society, we can debate the measures uh, being rolled out to deal with, with, uh, with the virus itself. 
I think we have to be careful about debating these types of measures when people's lives are Why do we have to be, ca why do we have because, to be careful because, debating these types of measures? Just analyze that language lives for a second. Are, well, I think do we have first, to be careful debating these types of measures? We have to be careful all of a sudden. I think um, when social media went through its phase of contextualising things, little uh, exclamation marks popping up, that was very different to silencing people. I mean, look, I've been impacted by this as well. We, not only do we all have relatives, I'm harking on about the fact that my dad died of it um, I, uh, back in uh, January of last year. And so, therefore, I would... The, my instinct is to say people are obsessing as if Twitter is freedom of speech. You are free to say whatever you want. Are you free to do it on another person's website where they are allowed to make terms and conditions? Is there uh, some form of natural human right to one social media platform? There's not, though, is there? Well, and this is the essence of the debate, is that it's, it's around the preservation of life. Many will argue that lockdowns will bring with them a higher death toll. So if you talk about government mandates, government policies which are there to save lives, that's not an lockdowns open and shut will case. A bigger death toll. Please explain that to me. Well, the idea is that societal damage, so economic damage, the University of Bristol mm -hmm. have uh, pointed out in a report just six months ago that creating the biggest recession in 300 years will shorten and curtail the lives of half a million people. Mm -hmm. This is because of deprivation, other untreated illnesses and beyond. Do you know Poorer what else? Societies Do you know what normally else preside over, over shorter lives. Do you know, you know what else curtails the lives of people? Mm -hmm. Death. You have to explain that one to me. <laughs> Catching COVID and dying. Yes, but the issue is whether or not the measures to control the virus, A, whether they worked, mm -hmm. comparing countries that locked down hard and others that didn't, states in America that had strict measures like California, states in uh, like Florida who didn't, very similar graphs, I do and think yet less, less damage to the economy and to society and potentially a lower death toll because if you don't have lockdowns and if you don't have other measures and societal economic damage, then people will be less affected. I don't think there's any conclusive evidence to actually Well, well Sweden, that. Sweden is less poor than Britain in relative terms, given the fact that it didn't lock down. So it's okay. got more money with which to invest in health services and preserve the health of its people, which Britain now doesn't. And so my point is, who knows? It might be that lockdown was the right thing to do. It might not be. But central to my discussion here, in our discussion, is that on Twitter, we ought to be able to debate all the measures. And some people should be able to go on Twitter and say, no, lockdowns will do more harm than good, which is the view of Professor Jay Bhattacharya, head of medicine at Stanford Medical School, mm -hmm. one of the most respected seats of education in the world. Mm -hmm. But this is a guy who himself has said that he's been censored on platforms like Twitter. Yes, I guess he so has So this been. is a problem. Public health. You got it at a time when you're actually. We all saw what happened. Is, at is, the is that we dangerous also, we, also, we saw what we all saw what happened in Wuhan at the very beginning of the pandemic. It was harrowing. The government and it wasn't reflective a, of the disease, was it? In the end. What do you mean it wasn't reflective? Well, the of scenes the we saw playing out in in uh, in China did not actually reflect across the rest of the world when the virus finally because spread. Because we took precautions. Yes, but in the end, the virus was clearly one which impacted people of a certain status, which is their health, obviously vulnerable groups, okay. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, a third of people were told, act like you've got it. This was a virus that provided no symptoms to 30% of the population. Well, that's not a really good number when you consider there's a whole other 70%. Sure, good stuff. All right, well, look, another great debate. I think you'll agree it's been a fascinating conversation. So far, that's part one out of the way. Uh, two minutes of adverts. Now try and resist the urge to crack open tomorrow's Easter eggs, and we'll see you shortly.
Welcome back to Headliners. I'm Mark Dolan and my piercingly insightful guests tonight are Dana Alexander and Steve N. Allen. The Mail on Sunday now and it turns out banks haven't always been the paragons of virtue. They now are, Dana. No, the Bank of England discovers that it owned 599 slaves in Grenada in 1770s and after, after claiming that it was never directly involved in the trade. The Bank of England owned nearly 600 slaves when it, was, when it acquired two plantations on the Caribbean islands of, of, Jamaica, uh, sorry, of Grenada in 70, 1770s. New research has revealed. The startling fact came to light in a study commissioned after the 2020 Black Lives Matter protest. Yeah, I mean, look, they've got to get their house in order. This is going to be an issue for all of our institutions, isn't it, yeah. Steve? I mean, the stupidest move is for the Bank of England to say, no, we've definitely never done that. You lit, you existed in history. Have you seen history? It tends to be pretty well stocked with racism and sexism and other prejudices that we can find to the history books. They're still in the history books, yeah. then, aren't they? Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, it is bizarre. I mean, the actual thing happened because they loaned money to a company who then defaulted, and that's how they ended up mm. owning these plantations. So the question then is, should you be loaning money to companies involved in slavery. And I know it was, may well have been rife back then, but do you know what? There is a part of me that thinks we can work out the morals of it now. Mm. You could have worked it out back then. So it's not a freak out of jail pass just because history was full of it. There was still, you erred on the wrong side of things back then, Bank of England. Slavery, it turns out, was always bad, who knew? Yeah. Uh, now to a long-standing medical scandal, an extensive bit of reporting in the Sunday Times, Steve. Yeah, I mean, this, the, the headline says worse than thalidomide. Um, back in 73, doctors knew that this epilepsy drug, sodium valproate, uh, posed a risk to unborn children. And um, this, so that's in the, back in 73, so already it's a story about the dereliction of duty of science. Yeah, you, know, you know, I love a bit of science. I'm from a chemistry background before this. Uh, science needs to earn, earn people's trust. So what did they do to the remedy, remedy this? Nothing. 50 years later, um, and around 20,000 people in Britain, um, babies left deformed or disabled, and it's still being prescribed to women. How can this still be happening? There are details in the article saying that you can still get it in plain packets without information leaflets. How is that possible? You buy a paracetamol, right. you get a ton, you get a tree's worth of paper that you've got to throw away. Mm -hmm. So what's it, even it's more ridiculous. egregious is that what's happening is the people who have disabled children because of what has happened are not being compensated. Yeah. After this clear negligence, which is uh, basically a kind of a double injustice, really, isn't it? Yeah, shocking yeah. story. Absolute shocker. Well, the observer now and the teaching profession is finding it tough at the moment, Dana. Yes, UK teachers popping pills as workload grinds them down, union told. NASUWT conference delegates condemn nonstop culture that puts colleagues on a long-term sick leave. Teachers are popping pills and are on long-term sick leave. My question is, which pills? <laughs> yeah, no. No, <laughs> Did no, they get them I mean, from the kids? Is it confiscated <laughs> stuff? <laughs> and are they showing up to class high? Yeah. You, I, used, I, I used to have a teacher. I swear she was drunk. She Sometimes she wore her blouse inside out, and she was always going into these stories. We talk about Greece. She'd go, Greece. I was in Greece. I was at this dance. <laughs> but nobody would dance with me. But I was dancing by myself. I'm like, you are drunk, lady. What's That's amazing. Did you learn much? <laughs> you know what? I actually did. This is one of the most passionate teachers yeah. I've ever seen in my life. Yeah.
Yeah, it's a tough gig, the teaching oh, profession. Yeah, I and mean, we ask too much of teachers because we expect them to teach all of the morals that we personally think that should be taught, and everyone's <laughs> yeah. biased in that. We want them to effectively be mental health professionals, and they've still got to teach kids that the square of the hypotenuse is equal to the sum of the square of the other two sides. You know, this which we all know it is. Which we all know it is. Um, and there's a lot of in this article about how that there's the constant ping of WhatsApps and text messages. Why? Why do you need a teacher to be on hand? Because no one's changing the way that you conjugate French verbs at 2.30 in the morning. So of all of the jobs, I, I very much think that we need to take a step back from this 24-hour access thing. No, I turn the phone off every so often. And pushy parents as well. I mean, oh, I've God, known teachers that have experienced imagine. real harassment from, from parents. Oh, my mom was one of those parents. Was she? <laughs> was she like a kind of helicopter mom? Oh my gosh, this teacher, she said once, there's two other black girls in my class. She says, you three are as thick as thieves. And I remember saying that to my mom and my mom's like, what did she say? And she yeah. wrote this long letter and it was her birthday the next day and I had to give it to her. No. It was horrible, but I didn't want to give it to her because it was her birthday. So I gave it to my friend who wasn't very bright. She couldn't read cursive. And the teacher's like, what are you reading in class? And she ripped the paper no. out of her hand. And it was just my mom reading her for filth. She just burst into tears and left the classroom. What a drama. Oh, but she yes. learned her lesson, I hope. <laughs> yes, she did. Yeah, you're right. Uh, well, look, uh, following on, more on the burdens of teachers. This in the Sunday Times, Steve. Yes, also in NASUWT News, get a catchier um, acronym. But um, <laughs> no. the union urged that we should teach the danger of incel culture. Um, so, again, maybe this is a question just to reflect my previous point. That's another thing on the list of stuff we're asking teachers to teach about incels, as well as teaching what a gerund is. But um, they did a survey and found that most female staff found that there's misogyny in class. They said that incel, which is short for involuntary celibate, mm. uh, that this subculture is drawing pupils in. It's hard for me to relate to this because, uh, if anything, through, certainly through my 20s, I was uh, an in-plar, uh, the involuntary player. Oh, nicely done. <laughs> no one really understands, <laughs> you were. No one understands well, why. How about this? Aren't all 13-year-olds boys involuntarily celibate? You shouldn't should be having so. sex. You're a school child. Like, come on yeah. now. It's weird that there's <laughs> this being drawn to the dark side. I mean, if anything, surely you, you should be taught about your relationship status shouldn't define you as a person. Don't be, don't be defined by what the opposite sex thinks of you. Be a good person for your own sake, and that way happiness lies. But this whole movement... It looks ridiculous on all of the levels, mm. and yet it pulls people in. It somehow indoctrinates people online. Good luck trying to teach your way better than the internet. Yeah, absolutely. What a story. At the Observer now, and savour those Easter eggs whilst you're prematurely eating them, watching headliners. They may be your last if the sugar police have their way, Dana. Yes, last right, supermarket, supermarket's annual Easter egg bonanza to end. So shoppers may soon have to hunt for chocolate eggs as an anti-obesity law dictates how and where unhealthy foods can be sold. Oh, crumbs. Oh, come on now. <laughs> I mean, so, so no more Easter sales, no more three for two, two for one, all of this stuff. But I'll tell you this, we've all seen anybody who wants chocolate is going to get chocolate. I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen that show, My 600 Pound Life. You don't know yeah. what people will do to feed Pretty themselves. Yeah. I know there are people that are so big, they can barely fit outside of their house, but they will still find a way to get food. So I don't see how this is going to work. I don't know. I, I actually like these rules coming in because, look, normally I like a whiff of personal responsibility in my way that I live my life. But if, if history has proven anything to us, that part of the lizard brain um, always loses. If it's willpower versus 
having all of the research into how packaging and the flavor of stuff can win you over, it, they do it. It's the same, same thing as if you get shown a, an optical illusion, mm. right? You know it's not true, but your brain sees the weird pattern there in the Daily Mail all the time. It's the same thing as that. They've worked out how to make that inner part of you just go, oh, actually, I want that food now. So if we move this food away from like near the tills on the corners of the aisle, mm. I've definitely fallen for it. I've definitely gone into a place thinking, I'll just get a drink. I'm getting petrol. I'll just get a drink. I don't want any chocolate. Cut to me in the car driving back from the gig, I'm, oh, I feel better about myself now. So I, I Can you think... imagine though, like, do you have kids? Yeah. Can you imagine if the, you had your kids hunting for like hard boiled eggs or something so sad? It'd be like the 1950s. Oh. You've just described my dad's Easter, basically. <laughs> it's not great, it's not a great look. Uh, we'll put those Easter eggs down briefly uh, because it's time for another very short break. But coming up, we've got dog meat, baps and flapjacks. That may sound like a terrible sandwich mixture, but they're an amazing headliners combination. See you in two. Welcome back to Headliners, a first look at tomorrow's papers. Tonight, in the company of the brilliant Dana Alexander and Steve N. Allen. This story from the Mail on Sunday sounds like two people rather ill-suited for their jobs, Steve. Two prison officers charged with looking after female drug addicts have been suspended after failing dot 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 wait for it drugs test of course uh, it was the one thing they didn't want them to do uh, after an alleged cocaine fueled house party the, the bosses at HMP Bronzefield in Surrey were tipped off to this event which allegedly took place at a member's uh, staff's uh, house on Friday is this research to help them understand more the plight of the people they're looking after like in the film that was effectively the film before Silence of the Lambs. Manhunter, where our main character, I think he was called Will, could really get into the psyche of the person he was trying to catch. No, it was just a great night out, wasn't it? Um, so apparently a source said the group had all been at the house party on Friday, organised by one of the staff. People were doing coke and it got out of hand. Uh, two of them worked on the block where people with substance abuse problems are held. If ever there's a time to use that excuse, I thought it was a works event. Um, they, they should have gone for it then. But yeah, HMP Bronzefield, and uh, it's run by the services giant um, Sedexo, which also sounds like a drug, but one for ED. It's not They great. didn't get fired, they just got suspended. And I'm sorry, like, who's grassing about a party? What a little grass. I know, I know, you I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, if teachers can go to school high, <laughs> Give no, them a break. Can't. That's the point. They, they can't. are. The best are we ones they are. Are we going to start drugs? Are we going to come on now? Are we going to start drug testing teachers now too? I mean, give me a break. Who hasn't had a party? To your right, especially those at the top ends of government. It turns out <laughs> yeah. they're in good company. The Sunday Mirror now, and we've got a rather geriatric epidemic on our hands, Dana. Oh, yes. Number of elderly people treated for cannabis abuse doubles in a decade to 1,094. They really like to count, don't they? A record number of over 60s are now on NHS programs designed to wean them off cannabis. Last year, 1,094 of them received taxpayer-funded help to deal with their spliff problem. Mm -hmm. uh, are we worried about older people smoking no. marijuana? My God, come on. I mean, I'm Canadian, it's legal. What's the problem? I don't see the problem. Do you think the drug laws here are a bit arcane, especially in, in relation to marijuana? Well, I think if you look at how, weed is not the problem in this country, alcohol is. Mm. If you go to any city in this town, somebody's punching the hell out of somebody on a Friday or a Saturday night, and it's not because they're smoking weed. Mm. Let's be honest about it so come on they're old give them a break you know what i mean i don't 
This is also just a function of time, right? Because if you're over 60 now, you're born in the, what, 50s, early 60s. So, you know, everyone's getting... Go figure. Uh, give it 10 years, your over 60s will be promiscuous into free love. It'll play havoc with the hips. Give it 20 years, <laughs> the over 60s would have been born in the 70s, raised in the 80s, so they'll all have massive brick phones. I mean, we can just see it coming. Who knew? And that's why my granny's got the munchies all the time. I wish my granny would smoke a spliff. This one from the Sunday Telegraph, and it's a cultural relativism, uh, relativism I should say, conundrum. Steve, tell me more. Yeah. Um, how are we supposed to survive, say, the dog meat farmers who fear a total ban on the tradition in South Korea? Oh, won't somebody think of the poor dog meat farmers? Is a thing I'd never thought we'd be talking about. It's estimated that up to 1.5 million dogs are still slaughtered for food each year in South Korea. Times are definitely changing. There's a review that could see the, the laws change. But even without that, the young people in South Korea, what with their K-pop, he says, sounding like a very much older man than he realises uh, he actually is these days. Um, so it's just going to end, anyway, as, as a practice. And they're saying, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to make a living? I don't know, just by doing something that's not selling dogs to be eaten. Um, the whole article goes through the story of one dog farm owner, uh, Jang Insil, and every line in it, you just, every time there's something like, oh, no, we've done this for years, oh, we'll be out of work. Every line you read it and go, stop selling dogs for food. Yeah, cats. <laughs> it's cats. <laughs> they, they won't fill you up. They will not, for those watching at home. This next story is about farming and contains some pretty shocking information. It turns out women are also allowed to be farmers. Didn't know that, Dana. They are allowed to be farmers, but they're not allowed to join in with the men farmers. So a sexism row has erupted as men-only farmers groups refuse to admit women. I mean, this is this is this sounds like an insult to me. Lisa Edwards took the Liverpool Agricultural Discussion Society to task over its single sex policy, but received fierce backlash. So I think that's pretty sad because these men are, are getting together specifically because they feel lonely. So why not invite a woman? That makes complete sense. That makes sense to me. And if they're so worried about loneliness, haven't you just isolated this poor? You think you're lonely. What about the woman you won't let come to the meetings? Yeah, exactly. I mean, in, in there, they make the argument about needing some male-only spaces, which is absolutely fine, unless it's linked to your job. I'm... Because, no, I mean, look, if, if a bunch of blokes wants a, a group where they meet and there are no women and they talk about their mental they health... They go to a bathhouse. Right. But exactly, it doesn't need to be about your job, because then you said, we're farmers. Oh, no, you, that type of farmer's not allowed. No, that's not right. If you want to discuss these things, go and have your social that's just blokes. And farmers can't be sexist, given that they're quite reliant on cows. And it actually puts her on the back foot because these guys start talking shop and business and they help each other. Do you know what I mean? Part, part, you know how it goes. You have to kind of talk shop a little bit with the people that you're working with. It helps you get other gigs. Yes. You know, it helps you move up. So they've completely excluded her from that. And I think that's a shame. Yeah, very, very poor form indeed. The Observer once again, and there's a village rather upset with the Royal Mail, Steve. To Cambridgeshire. Um, there are two Cambridge villagers that say that they have lost thousands of letters. That their deliveries have mysteriously stopped for almost three weeks. Um, <coughs> what are you going to do to complain about it? Write a letter, it's never going to get there. Um, so apparently at the start of March, people living in Great and Little Eversden uh, noticed that their post had stopped arriving. And I thought to myself, if that had happened to me, I don't think I'd know. Mm. I don't really get much post. In fact, the only thing I think gets sent through is the confirmation for the redirection that I pay for from my old flat, which now I just feel is an even bigger waste of money because there's no other post. Um, but apparently, when asked, Royal Mail, um, they then sent a series of emails to the affected villagers. Even they're sending emails. 
hoisted very much by your own petard, Royal Mail. My question yeah. is, how do you lose three weeks of mail? I understand it's losing crazy. a day of mail. Something's yeah. up. Something's going down. Uh, Someone's so. targeting their mail. You don't just lose three weeks of mail. It can't happen. No, it's slightly worrying. Um, is there any point in mail in 2022? Because I believe a first-class stamp now costs 95p. Oh, my God. Almost a pound. Almost a pound. Can you imagine? I am... Who would ever... I always I mean, say do you that. Guys, do, you, do you send post? I, yeah, I have sent post. Like I, I've said this on the show before, I used to have a couple of prison pen pals. Really? Yes, I did. And then they got out or what happened? Oh, no, I made sure I picked ones that were never getting That's out. That's very good. <laughs> That's very good. The multiple homicide is what you're looking for. Totally. Yeah. I That's on your Twitter bio. <laughs> I've, I've used the post a lot because of sorting out like the estate of all the family members who are sadly no longer with us over the last couple of years. But I tell you what, the whole system is done on in via having to send things just to slow you down. I'm sure of it. Yeah. It is deliberately painful. Oh, we'll send you this form, and that then you'll need to apply to something else, which you have to write off for and wait three weeks. We could have I could have had all of those estates sorted in a week if we could do it on email. Yeah. I would be mostly worried about things like bank statements and that type of information. When mail goes missing for that long, yes. do you know what I mean? It would yeah, be so easy to target these people. Go paperless. I'm paperless. It's the future. Do you know what? I'm not paperless. They always send it to me. I don't know how you even go paperless. You've got to go online to tell them that you want to go paperless. I'm going to try that. Why not? There you go. Welcome to the modern world. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Apparently there's been a rise in breast augmentation over lockdown. Dana. Yes, WFH may be to blame for a rise in Britain's being left botched from cheap cosmetic surgery abroad. And WFH, say. of course, work from home. <laughs> I mean, it's now so common, it's got its own acronym, right? Yeah, yes. And uh, 82 patients needed follow-up NHS treatment last year after going overseas for boob jobs, tummy tucks and other procedures. I mean, when it said work from home in this story, I did think, well, you've got to go around the surgeon's house. Just, I'll, I'll lay on the kitchen table, try and just spray something first. But I mean, uh, what's curious to me is now they're trying to make travel um, insurance compulsory for people doing these kinds of procedures. But you think if you're going to go to another country and cut your body open, the first thing you would get... It's insurance. I mean, and the worst thing about it, I guess, when you look at these elective surgeries, I mean, they're kind of based in vanity and, oh, my God, it's so terrible to have it go the exact op opposite way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, But then sure. a lot of the time when people get into surgeries and things like that, they just take it so far. I remember this woman on Oprah, and she was, I think she had like 27 procedures, and I remember Oprah looking at her like, do you think you've had enough plastic surgery? And she just went, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, God. <laughs> this poor woman, she couldn't even close her eyes. Yeah, I mean, Stephen, would you have anything done? Oh, yeah, if I could afford a hair transplant, of course. It's, it's literally horrible being bald. No. There you go, definitely. Definitely. You, you know, you cut quite a Bruce Willis figure there in that twin jacket of yours. I got lasered in the eyes as well for vanity as well, because I was a bald, bespectacled fat man. No one wants to be the George Costanza of life, so at least I got one of them fixed. <laughs> um, this organisation that represents plastic surgeons has the most amazing acronym, doesn't it? You care to share it with the class? British Association of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons, or BAPS. Hmm. That's it's, actually a Spike Lee movie. Is it really? Yeah, it's about like this television, or sorry, this telephone operator who, like, I think was played by Halle Berry, and she has like this crazy blonde weave and these nails. And oh stuff. wow! Yeah, Baps. God, that sounds great. I love Spike Lee. Um, can I ask you about uh, Dana? You're mm -hmm. obviously perfect. We wouldn't change a thing. But if you could have anything done, would you? I mean, I decided when I was going to be like 65 that I might lift these up because gravity is cruel and they're very heavy. I, I think liposuction is very attractive. What are you trying to say? 
Just the idea. <laughs> Definitely oh, talking God. about myself. As, as a bloke in middle age. Where would you take it well, from? It, your it, earlobe? No, it's amazing, right? Because I, 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 I have to I cut out sugar. We talked about that during the break yeah. three years ago. And I did lose, actually, a few stone. But there's, there's just that rump of belly fat that it just won't go. Mark. And, the idea Stop. of it getting sucked you're, out. You're, really? You're, you're fine just the way I, you are. I'm fine as nature made me. You, you're so fine. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'll show you the before and after photos on next week's show. Uh, flapjacks are in the news, Steve. What have they done now? This is going to bother me more than it bothers you because you, as you say, stop sugar. But this is right up my street. Previous, previously on Rouse About Things Being Cakes or Not, we all know of the Jaffa Cake conundrum. Is it a cake? Is it a biscuit? Apparently it was sorted out to do with the fact that biscuits go soft and cakes go stale, therefore hard. I don't know still which a Jaffa Cake is because I don't leave them long enough to find out. I eat them. Come on. And there was an important financial reason why we were having this debate. Yes. To do with VAT. It is because um, cakes are considered modified breads. More on that very shortly. So, to flapjacks. There's been a tribunal that's ruled that uh, some of these flapjacks are too chewy and not celebratory enough to be classified as cakes, which could cost the manufacturers loads in tax. They've been classified as a sweet. Let me stop you right there. Sweets, including things like wine gums, are chewy. So don't tell me you're not chewy enough for you. So anyway, this whole trial is a mess. I, I, I hold the court in contempt. Tax law considers cakes to be a form of modified bread because therefore it's a, it's a food staple, how on earth is a fruitcake a cake then? Your Honour. Um, and the decision's been made over these 36 <laughs> flapjacks. Crazy. Uh, which apparently have toppings. Listen, look, I mean, for me, a flapjack is uh, a food staple. But the thing that upset me the most, the judge said, most people regard the archetypal cake to be more pleasant to eat than an everyday food. So I shouldn't eat it every day. This story's really hit me where I live. But here's the greater debate. Do we like flapjacks? No. Yeah. I know. I think they're so like good. the licorice of the food world. In other words, you love them or hate them. Oh, God, yeah. There's so many things that I, I still can't get used to in this country. Like, I don't... When you go to Scotland, they just put everything in a fryer. They're so... They're, yes. I, I won't eat black pudding. Yeah. I won't eat... Um, what's that? That black... That... Um, that stuff at uh, breakfast. Oh, uh, hash browns or potato no, bread? No, no, no. Oh, who cares? Or, or why they also have white pudding as well. Oh, oh. So good. <laughs> that with a side of flapjack, you've worked out what my average diet is. Ooh, who knew? Love a flapjack. His body's a temple. Uh, rather neglected one. Next up, a story uh, of our warring Anglo-Saxon forefathers that they would approve of, Dana. Oh, my gosh. So exclusive. Could the Midlands leave the UK? No. Okay. The <laughs> radical political group battling for an independent Mercia devolved from England with its own government laws and taxes. An impassioned 2,500 strong group of citizens have formed a movement for the independence of Mercia, a region that roughly relates to the modern Midlands. I mean, the question is, if the Midlands left... Would anybody care? Well, we would be I devastated. Love, I love yeah. the Midlands. I used to live in my Birmingham. Well, yeah, that's right. You, you were know at Brum I mean? for a while. Yes, I, I was. What are we going to call it? Coven Trexit? How? Look, so I'm from the East Midlands, but went to university in the West Midlands. These are my people. Yeah. Mansfield, certainly Nashville, these people. Um, so, yeah, I think we, you would notice this nation would fall apart without the Midlands. Yeah, no, how would you get to Manchester? You'd have, you'd, to have to through, through Island. you'd have to go you through Ireland. You'd have to go through England's second city once your homeland. No, yes. It's unimaginable. Uh, how about this? A really rather interesting story on the technical <laughs> advancements of weaponry from the Observer, Steve. Um, to the... Oh, the... Uh, no, I believe I thought I was going to be talking about... 
Oh, uh, oh, I see. We've got Excellent sleight of hand there. And great team play <laughs> from Dana Alexander. Um, how archery was vital to the survival of early humans. I like this. Remains were found dating back um, uh, 54,000 years. Uh, uh, now, what I like about this is I've never been good at certain computer games. Driving one's terrible at. Oh. Um, but any shooting ones and, and that kind of lark, I'm great at. And coming from Nottinghamshire, Yes. I have found that my natural ability is in archery. Uh, my other half for a birthday a couple of years ago got me an archery lesson. Turns out I didn't need it, just that good. And uh, what I like about this is, back in that, I would have been useful to early humans. I've often thought I have no usable skills, but if, if we could actually manage to, you know, that critical phase of being homo sapien, of working out that a tree and whatever else you use to make a bow could suddenly manage to uh, absolutely knock other people out. I'd be, I'd be in charge of mercy about them. Yeah, sounds pretty amazing, doesn't it? Look at that, you'll be defending Britain sometime soon. Last one from the Daily Star, someone's parked in someone's garden. Is this news, Dana? Yes, it is news. I would be furious if that happened, but if only I had a parking space. Anyways, a furious mom fumes at driver who parked in her car driveway near to the Birmingham airport. So Debbie Flynn was left furious after the mystery car appeared on her driveway five days ago, and she can't do anything to move it until the driver comes back to claim it. So this isn't a criminal matter, this is a civil matter, and they can do nothing about it. She suspects sure. that somebody has rented out her spot yes. to this person. And so she, what she's done to kind of, you know, give the guy a bollocking. Can I say that you on TV? You, of course you can. You won't be <laughs> censored here. <laughs> but, uh, but so she wants to chain up his tire so she can tell him off when he comes to, to pick up his car. I think it's madness. I would be furious, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's so bad. And uh, honestly, she might need to like get somewhere quickly. It's a nightmare. I think they should be able to tow it and it should be at his expense, yes. period. Totally agree. Um, I think that people that live near airports have drawn the short straw generally. All the noise, people parking their cars nearby. Mm -hmm. It's not fun, is it? No, I can't. It isn't fun, but I mean, that's what you get when you move to an airport. But you think your own driveway would be safe from yeah. other people parking in it. Yeah. I just can't believe that they can get away with something like that. And the worst thing is, now that we've told this story, other people are going to try it because they know that nothing can be done. No, I know. That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, people, British people get very worked up about their parking place. Oh, definitely. But this is, you say, Birmingham Airport, so when... Thankfully, the Midlands declares independence. The first thing we will do is outlaw that. And you'll all be thinking, oh, I wish we could move to the Midlands. That's the kind of country we like. Yeah, that is definitely the country we like. Listen, this is the panel that we like. What a brilliant conversation we had tonight, guys. Thank you so much. The amazing Dana, Alexander and Steve N. Allen. Thank you for your company as well. We're back with more headlines tomorrow at 11. I'm back in the hot seat from 9 tomorrow. My Mark Meets guest is radio and TV legend Dr. Fox. That's right. Neil Fox live at 10 on the show. Can't wait for that one. Lots to come on GB News. I'll see you tomorrow at 9. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.